and everybody gets it back again. Don't take no mess at the Rose Garden. Blazers, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dive that's in your lap. Welcome to episode two of the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the host and author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can check out on rosegardenreport.beehive.com. Sign up for a free or premium subscription to get exclusive content, exclusive writing, uh, exclusive reporting, all of that. You can get the podcast wherever you usually get podcasts, Apple, Spotify. We're on Google now. That one took a minute, but we're on Google now. Uh, I am joined for episode two by my good buddy. If you're a Blazers fan, if you follow this, you know, extended universe of Blazers media, you know this guy, the co-host of the Jack Ramsey's podcast, uh, which you should be listening to if you're not, the former uh, co-host of Blazers Outsiders, RIP. <laughs> some other, maybe some maybe some other stuff coming down the pipe. You know, who's to oh, say? Man. But uh, Danny Morang, what, what's going on, man? What's up, buddy? It's uh, it's nice to be here. It's 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 nice to be on the other side. It's just you know, I'm I'm always on the other. I'm always on the front side. Now it's like making back to making guest appearances. I like it better this way. It's been a long time since you and I have seen each other, like four whole hours or something <laughs> like that. I, I managed to mow my lawn, break my lawnmower, and get a ride in on the Peloton. So that's how long oh since we've seen each other. Yeah, yeah. So we were both at the. Uh, Shade and Sharp and Jabari Walker introductory press conference uh, this morning. We were both also at the uh, draft night festivities at the practice facility out in Tualatin the other night where the Blazers took Shade and Sharp seventh overall and did not trade for OG Ananobi or John Collins. Mm-hmm. But this came one night after they did trade a bunch of you know future down the line picks for Jeremy Grant. So... I figured with at least the first phase of like the big movement out of the way, obviously uh, free agency starts this coming Thursday on uh, June 30th. So there's going to be a lot more going on. There may be some trades between now and then, but uh, now that this first big, you know, they got one big, you know, rotation, you know, starting caliber guy that they had been targeting. And then they made that draft pick at seven instead of trading it. So I figured now is a good time to just sort of reset. Danny, what were your, immediate impressions when they decided to keep the pick as opposed to trading it because that I think was the biggest surprise the Jeremy Grant thing we had known for a while that was somebody they were chasing and it wouldn't take that much to get him yeah they've been working on that for a while yeah not trading the pick we had thought it was going to be OG for a minute John Collins we thought was going to be an option and then they just kept the pick they took Shaden Sharp what were your immediate thoughts when they got on the clock and Woj and Shams and Haynes and Fisher and everybody just went silent for four and a half minutes, you knew the Blazers were working, that nobody had a thing. Nobody had any, really anything to say about anything. It was just silence. And it was kind of weird because things were just boom, 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 popping along. And then the broadcast kind of caught up and you were like, okay, they're trying to figure something out. And then the pick is in shade and sharp. Wasn't surprised about who the pick was, surprised that they made a pick. Uh, we, you know, we'd heard for so long, really going back to March, that if unless the Blazers got a top three pick, they were going to trade it. That was just what they were going to do. At that point, especially after the draft press conference and hearing Joe kind of end up putting those two things together. It definitely looked like the Blazers were just sold on Shaden Sharp. And I think a lot of that had to do with Mike Schmitz, him being probably one of the only people on the planet who had extensive time around him, uh, who had actually seen him do anything outside of workouts, uh, spent some time with him around Kentucky. And I think that's probably why they leaned that way. And it's still my initial overall feeling was, huh? So <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's kind of a weird space to be. Yeah, and Joe basically he didn't say Mike's name in this part of it. I mean, obviously he, you know, we we kind of noticed that 
he opened his draft uh, night press conference by thanking his whole staff, which was a departure from uh, the previous GM. But uh, <laughs> he didn't name Mike Schmitz by name when he was talking about the process for this draft pick. But he did say that even though, you know, he, he had some comment that was like, even though, you know, Shaden didn't play in college and we didn't have current film on him, we still had a good foundation on him based on some viewings by some of our new people, which that was clearly about Mike Schmitz. And as I've pointed out in the past, right after the lottery results were announced and the Blazers fell from six to seven in the lottery, when Mike Schmitz was still working at ESPN before he took the job with the Blazers, he went on Woj's podcast. And specifically when he was asked about what Portland would do at the seventh pick, he said Shaden Sharp has the highest upside in the draft. I believe he compared him to a better shooting Anthony Edwards, which if that ever ends up being what he gets to, that's not a bad player to get at the number seven overall that's pick. That's a hell of a player. That's, I mean, Anthony Edwards went number one overall and is looking like he was worth the number one pick. If you have a better shooting version of that, then you did okay, I think. But yeah. the point, the point being, like, we have kind of known for a little bit that Mike Schmitz would be, you know, would be kind of putting the word in Joe Cronin's ear that this is the guy with the highest upside. This is a good swing to take. This is uh, who, you know, would be worth taking there. And Joe has said in the past also, I, you know, a couple of different interviews he did with Jason Quick at The Athletic during the latter part of the season. And I think he said something about this in exit interviews as well. They're still trying to just get talent. They don't have, outside of Dame and Simons they and Nurkic, they don't really have enough talent on the roster where they feel comfortable with can we compete? You know, it's not a matter of fit. It's not a matter of who's ready to play, who's not. They just need more talent. And so I had kind of always gone into this whole draft process assuming that if they did keep the pick, obviously their first choice was to trade the pick for a veteran of some kind if they could get a deal that they liked. But if they kept the pick, I had been saying the whole time that they were probably going to just take whoever they felt was the best player on the board as far as talent and worry about the fit and worry about the timeline of development later. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very much true. And again, Joe in the, in the press conference, normally following the draft, following free agency, everybody's feeling good publicly. That's just kind of how they go about things. You don't ever hear like, oh, yeah, no, we missed out on our guy. We didn't get who we wanted. It's I love like- I love that this morning at, <laughs> uh, at Joe's press conference when he said, yeah, Shaden Sharp was our guy the whole time. We really didn't think he'd be there at, at seven. We yeah. thought there were a couple of other teams that could take him, which maybe that's true. I don't I don't have any reason to think that he was lying, that that was their guy out of the guys who would have been available at that range or that they thought there was a chance that any that, you know one of these other whether indy detroit one of these other teams might take him but i always just think it's funny when they say that because every single night on draft night or you know the press conference after the draft when they announced the, when they introduced the picks everybody except for the number one pick the number one pick is the only <laughs> team that isn't going to say we just did not even expect that this guy that we took was going to be there on the board for us yeah no and and joe did say something draft night where he said something along the lines of uh you know, we had to be wowed. And considering who the Blazers were going after, I I don't think he was lying. No, he wasn't going to trade the pick for just, you know, any decent vet. Like, there's a reason that Jeremy Grant, who is a very good player and, you know, is an Olympian and is, you know, a very high level starter. There's a reason that the idea of trading the number seven pick for Jeremy Grant was never on the table like it would have to be a level that's why you the names that you were hearing as guys they were chasing with the pick would were guys like og ananobi or trying to work out some sort of sign and trade for like a deandre ayton or a miles bridges like a little bit of a higher level thing than guys who can play with all-star games yes exactly like like jeremy grant very good player very you know quality starter probably never going to be an all-star OG Ananobi, there's a, there's an outside chance. I yeah, I I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but there's an outside chance. That's more like if you're taking you know somebody with the seventh pick, especially somebody like Shaden Sharp, they feel like his upside if he hits and he is a better shooting Anthony Edwards, like uh, uh, Mike Schmidt said on that podcast that he thinks he could be, like he could be like a seven or eight time All Star. Yeah, I mean that's obviously a major departure from who they they think is 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 going to match up right as far as a value transition mm-hmm. and i think that's very very different from how the blazers have operated in the past uh, the the idea of how to swing that value uh, that value scale now what remains to be seen is 
does Shaden Sharp become Joe Cronin and CJ McCollum? Um, you know, that's the kind of situation where, you know, you hope you don't get there because Shaden could end up being an absolute monster. There is some stuff that's very reminiscent of the past era where there is now a very crowded backcourt and there is a pretty large hole at the small forward threes position. So uh, it remains to be seen what the Blazers do over the next two weeks to fill out the rest of the roster and kind of make this make a bit more sense and match up to what Cronin has said publicly about making the team more competitive. I mean, don't get me wrong, Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, insert player here, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic. I think that's a viable roster that you're you're probably competing for a just above a play-in spot, or if you struggle a little bit in a play-in, who they get to slide into that three kind of starts to make that make sense. And then you have to try to figure out, again, how are you going to get 16, 17 minutes a night out of Shaden Sharp if you're talking about trying to really force his development while also being competitive. And I think that is, I hate saying this because we have said this so much, threading a needle. That's what they're, they're just, they're just consistently trying to thread a needle here and live on basically two timelines. And it's a needle. And this is something I wrote the other night after the uh, draft, after they made the draft pick, which rosegardenreport.beehive.com. That one I unlocked for everybody. So you can go read that even if you're not a paying subscriber, although I urge you to become a paying subscriber. But <laughs> something I pointed out there is that basically the only time that that works, it's something that everybody tries to do. Every team feels like, you know, we can be the, uh, you know, we, we can be, you know, trying to win now while also having this, you know, crop of young guys that are going to be our next generation of stars once our current stars age out. Like, the Celtics were able to do that successfully to a degree when they had, like, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, but then they had, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown kind of mm-hmm. behind them. The Warriors, who just won the title, they have Steph Clay Draymond, and then they also have Jordan Poole and Kaminga. That last Spurs run near the end of the Duncan Parker Ginobili era where they had Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. There have been examples of it working, and I can see why every front office feels like, yeah, you know, we can do what the Warriors did, which, as everything kind of has shown, no, you probably can't unless you have literally the greatest shooter of all time and one of the most game-changing and impactful defensive players of all time also like that's just and your ownership has sold their soul to the devil so that they can allow you know for two-year sabbaticals where they stockpile lottery talent and have you know 2016 happen where you know a 30 million dollar roster spot comes open that otherwise wouldn't have been there and right and are just willing to spend all the money and not even think about worrying about a, the luxury a 200 200 million dollar <laughs> luxury tax bill next season right exactly yeah. like everybody thinks they can be the warriors but they can't be the warriors is kind of it's, it's sort of the new the new they're kind of the new spurs and that remember back in you know 20 like 12 13 14 mm-hmm. Every, every team was hiring one of Greg Popovich's assistants to be a coach and being like, hey, we're going to go big into international scouting. We're going to, you know, start, you know, we're going to play this way. We're going to try to adopt this style. I was like, well, okay, do you have Tim Duncan, who's one of the 10 greatest players of all time and also the most unselfish, like, non-egocentric superstar probably in NBA history? No, you don't. Well, okay, you can't do that. But it seems like the Blazers are trying to – I'll push back a little bit on two things that you – said there about the whole dame's uh aunt shaden sharp thing Mm -hmm. one is that shaden sharp unlike the dame cj aunt situation all three of those guys are the same size Mm -hmm. shaden sharp is six six theoretically you could put him at the three also and he has the length and the talk is that he's going to be a good defender one day so like it's not quite the same situation the other thing I would say is I just get the sense already from Joe. And you've seen this not just in the way that he's talked about this stuff. You know, the idea that you brought up, that's interesting of like, is he going to be Joe Crone and CJ McCollum? Is Shaden Sharp going to be that? I already think just from the hires that he's made and the willingness that he's projected to listen to other voices, I don't think he's ever going to be the kind of guy that's so in love with his own guy that he's just never going to trade somebody no matter what, the, the way that maybe the previous guy would have felt about CJ at different points. He's not going to become Daryl Morey and, and keep his keep his precious James Harden? Well, that too, but like... <laughs> Listen, man, some of these guys have types, you know? It happens. Maybe it does. But, I mean, the thing is, we're all still learning about Joe as far as exactly. what kind of a GM he's going to be because you know he's been in the organization for over 15 years. Now he came in as an intern when Kevin Pritchard was still the GM. So he was here through. He's seen styles. 
Yeah, so he was here through the Roy Aldridge uh, era. He was here through that like little era after the Roy and Odin stuff. Like their bodies fell apart, and then like it was Lamarcus for a little while, and then the beginning of the Dame era and the Dame Lamarcus Wesley Batum Rolo team and then like after that you know those guys all left then like this version of the dame like he's been here through all of this so we don't Mm -hmm. know because his predecessor would never say or give credit to anybody else in the front office we don't know which of those draft picks or which of those trades or free agent signings who was joe really into who did joe have a lot of input on did he have a lot of input on any of this stuff what kind of stuff does he value we're starting to see a little bit of an answer to that emerged, not just with some of the stuff that Joe said today, but some of the stuff that he and Chauncey really have been saying since the front office changes that happened in December, where they started make you know, every single time you ask them, like, what do you value? What kind of players are you looking for? They would always say the same things. We want guys who can defend. We want physical guys. We want tough guys. And then, you know, at the trade deadline, they trade for Josh Hart, who's a you know defender and a guy who plays hard. They traded for Justice Winslow, who's a guy that they kind of view the same way. And then, you know, Joe pointed that out today at the press conference when I believe it was you actually that asked uh, both of the two rookies what their biggest strength is and what the thing that could get them on the floor today is. What gets you on the floor today? Yes. And both of them said defense. And then Joe said something about, you heard those two guys say defense. This is what we're looking for. And I know that, you know, Chauncey over the course of that last season talking to him and getting to know him and asking him about different things that he values like by the end of the uh season when these games were so pointless there was really no reason to go there at all or to watch any of these games because they were basically just you know running out of the outcomes didn't matter they were running out a lineup of g leaguers and getting uh blown out by 30 every night i mean the part of it that was really tough not it wasn't just that they were getting blown out it was that they were getting blown out and the guys that they were playing for the most part, once they shut down basically everybody who's going to be on the team next year, it's not even like, okay, they're losing, but you get to watch a lot of these young guys that are going to be a part of the future. Most of the guys that were getting minutes by the end of the season are probably not going to be on the team this coming season. All due respect to uh, CJ Ellaby and uh, Kelgen. Chris Levin. Dunn. Chris Dunn, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but the, the point is like, you start to get ideas of like, I would ask Chauncey different stuff. I would start going to practices. And even if I wasn't going to write anything, I would just start asking him basketball philosophy questions and coaching questions, because I just was curious to see like how his mind works and what kind of stuff he values. I find that stuff always really fascinating to talk to different players and coaches and front office executives about their processes and just kind of figure out what they, what they value and what they think is important. And so I, the sense that I've strongly gotten from Chauncey over that whole last year is he wants guys who play hard on defense. He wants unselfish guys. Like that's just his, you know, you, you saw the the players that he really, like there's a reason that he really started to trust Trent and Watford a lot more towards the end of the season, because that's a guy who's style just that's the way he plays. He's going to go mm-hmm. dive for loose balls. He's unselfish. He can finish uh, Nasir little before he had the shoulder surgery. That was a guy that Chauncey liked a lot because he's a guy that's just going to throw his body around on the floor and just try to make plays and go after loose balls and hustle and all that. Like it seems like that. And, and again, this is why they were interested in a guy like OG Ananobi and why, you know, you said this, uh, you know, we both reported this separately. Matisse Thibel as of right now is somebody that they're looking at. Uh, you know, as a possibility just to keep an eye on. But like, this is the kinds of guys that they're going after. And I think the idea is they think that Shade and Sharp is going to be that kind of guy maybe three or four years down the line. That's the sense that I get. Yeah, no, and the thing that I really liked so far about really the last couple of days is um, there was a comment made by Joe today mm-hmm. that the playoffs are not good enough. And uh, you could feel some some heads turn in the room, like, oh, that's a that's a that's a tone change." Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder well, who well, I well, wonder well, who that was a reference <laughs> to. I mean, we, this is so, there, this has happened so many times over, not just like at exit interviews or at the trade deadline or like there were like a couple. Like I remember, I think it was at the post trade deadline press conference. Uh, Chauncey said something about how. Like their roster makes a lot more sense now and they, it's not as crowded in the backcourt. Like there, there's always like reminders of just how things are different between now and maybe where they were a year ago when we were talking about uh, them losing in the first round to Denver and the 
GM saying that it was not a product of the roster. And then, you know, the coaching search and like it was all just everything was just, you know, everything that he did was right. And he was the smartest guy in the room. It seems like there's a lot more a every a like with Joe, like I said, a lot more willingness to, you know, listen to other people's opinions. You know, we had heard that there were, you know, the even on this draft pick, the entire front office wasn't all it has to be shade and sharp. There were people in the, in the organization and in the room who wanted Dyson Daniels. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's kind of what you, you don't want a front office where every single person has. Everybody's in lockstep. That's a problem. Has either, either where, you know, like, you know, in the past uh, 10 years, let's say where it doesn't matter what anybody else wants, because it's just one guy that's going to make the call and whatever he says is going to be what they do. But if you are going to take this collaborative approach and, do all this stuff and bring in a guy like Mike Schmitz uh, and bring in a guy like Sergey Oliva, who has an international playing background. And then has also been in front offices and on coaching staffs before. Like you want these guys, the reason you want to bring in so many guys with different backgrounds and, and women also shout out to Asia Jones and a couple other members of the. Uh, yeah. Front and, office, and, but, and Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Nisha Curry, uh, Sharice Sam, who they hired uh, also another former WNBA player who they, this one was a little bit under the radar, but they hired her in like January or February as a scouting director or something. I don't remember her exact title, but I, I shouldn't have said guys, I, you know, guys and, and women, uh, the collective guys. Yes. The collective. Uh, but, but anyway, the reason why you want to bring in people from all these different backgrounds, they have some former players, they have, you know, a guy like, schmitz who is just a he, he didn't play but he's a scout and he's, like, he's has scouting the, savant right exactly you want to bring those types of people in because they're not going to all agree on everything and they're all going to have their own perspectives and you're going to kind of put it together and try to get as close to a consensus as possible but you're going to have some differing views on things and it just felt to me not it's not just like the way that they're presenting this front office as more of a collaborative thing but then also like you said with Joe saying what he said about uh, we're not happy to just make the playoffs and win a round or two. We want to win a championship. I think they're still kind of trying to go out of their way to remind everybody just how happy they are that things are different now than they were, let's say, in you know November or December. December. <laughs> yeah. You know, I said this on Twitter the other day. Um, I got a chance to have, I had like 15 minutes with Joe for the first time uh, after the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the feeling in the building when I walked in was different. The feeling with the personnel was different. Just when, you know, Joe walks into the, into the theater for the press conference, it feels different. You aren't worrying about, you know, how's this going to go? Here we go. <laughs> and then afterwards, you know, I, I'm talking to a few other folks within the team and Joe just came up to me and we hadn't actually talked in, in person before. Right. And uh, it went in a manner that I didn't see coming at, at all. And we talked about a few things and just kind of got just acquainted with each other back and forth. And it was so violently different from the previous regime. You you could not have been further away from what it used to be. And it was, it struck me. I, from the drive home from the practice facility to, to my place, I just sat there kind of slack jawed, like running it through in my head over and over again, just because of how violently different it was. And you could feel it. You could feel it within everybody in the building. And it was just, it was, I, was, I just sat there and I started thinking the, and the thing that people don't also don't understand is like Joe on the mic in a press conference is not Joe in person. He is, he's, he's, he's good in press conferences. I think he's just kind of like a happy go lucky kind of guy in the press conferences, which obviously that's a change. Well, also still like still new enough on the job that he doesn't want to, say anything that's going to, you know, get anybody in trouble or rock. Exactly. But he's charismatic as hell. Yes. When, when you get him off the mic and you could see how easy it would be for him and Chauncey and Damian Lillard to get in a room in free agency and get guys to, to buy into stuff. Like he, he's the kind of guy who makes you want to run through a wall. He he's, he's a hell of a motivator. He's just got like, when he walks into a room, He's just, there's just something about him. There's just some, there's just certain people that have a gravitas when they walk into a room. And I'll tell you this, Chauncey and Joe both have it for different reasons. Chauncey obviously has the, the NBA accolades that kind of back him up those bona fides. But Joe, when he walks into a room, he controls it. It's, it's, it's an impressive thing to watch when it's not with fear. (laughs) It's, It's not with, um, you know, 
some some sort of uh, you know finger on your shoulder kind of deal where you're like ah maybe I shouldn't. It's just it's it's a different it's a different beast, and it's something that I think is going to be really interesting to watch unfold through trade discussions and through free agency to see what the Blazers can do to kind of finish rounding out this roster. And I don't want to, I don't want un- to oversell it, but I don't want to undersell that just because it's, it just feels so different. I wish, I wish everybody could have that kind of experience that to see what it's like to, to kind of be in that room, but it's, it's different. It's, it's just so, so wildly different and it for the better. I hadn't thought really at all about, Joe, in that way, until you just brought that up, as far as him and Chauncey having similar personalities, because ever since Chauncey got here, and again, putting aside everything about how Chauncey got this job and the way that that was all handled Mm -hmm. and the individual that hired him and that is not with the organization anymore, putting all of that aside, once it got to training camp and all of that stuff was sort of, you know, had kind of fallen away and it was all just kind of getting to know the guy on a basketball level. I had kind of felt like his personality and Dame's personality were very similar, where they're both just very easy to talk to. They're very genuine. They're both kind of straight shooters. And as the season kind of got you know got on, and especially once it really started to go sideways as it did after like December or whatever, I started, you know, you I kind of just got the feeling that you could just ask Chauncey about what, I mean, from a basketball level, you ask him whatever, and he's just going to give you an honest answer. And what's interesting is that, between when Joe was appointed interim GM and when he got the job permanently in May, that was maybe five months uh, between then we were still talking and you and I were both, you know, talking to different people and chasing different stuff. And there was a possibility that they were going to give Joe the GM job and then hire a president of basketball operations above him with the idea being that Joe has all of the player personnel and salary cap stuff, this, that stuff totally unlocked. But then you were, you know, Mark Eversley from uh, the bulls is a guy that we had both kind of heard thrown around as somebody who has the relationships and has the gravitas to walk in a room. You heard that, you know, he was really big in getting DeMar to come to Chicago, like a guy like that, who's going to join Dame and Chauncey as a recruiter. I wonder if we kind of had that all wrong and that in just assuming that there's no way Joe could also be that guy. Yeah, no, that's the thing is I, I think he is that guy. That's, that's, that's the kind of crazy thing here is that regardless of how the Blazers got Chauncey and regardless, right. honestly, of how they got Joe, because it, there wasn't a search conducted. There wasn't, you know, a, a firm that came in and, you know, looked under every rock and, and, it may have ultimately been because they legitimately had the guys they wanted. Not great to, to, you know, the process isn't great, but the results ended up probably being pretty damn good. And I, again, with, with everything that kind of came out of the draft, what's kind of transpired over the last couple of days, the Jeremy Grant trade, uh, the possibility of a guy like a Matisse Thibel, perhaps this regime, so to speak, has said what they wanted to do. And, Damn it, Sean, they've, they've done it. Like <laughs> they, they said they weren't going to overtax themselves and put themselves in a position where they were wasting assets. They, they weren't going to perform from a position of weakness. They were going to get bigger, longer, stronger, more athletic. So far, they've kind of gone that way. Like, and, and, and one of the things Joe has said is he wants to take the biggest swing he can. I genuinely believe that Shaden Sharp, and that's kind of backed up by a lot of national draft experts, calling Shaden Sharp the biggest swing that is in the entire draft. And so where they find themselves right now through, you know, hard work and or dumb luck is kind of fun. I think also that the fact that they had already traded for Jeremy Grant and not really given up that much, like they gave up a couple of future picks that are, you know, are not going to be second round swaps, second round swaps, (laughs) stuff that's not going to be as valuable to them ever as Jeremy Grant is going to be for them over the next few years. The fact that they were able to get that move done the day before the draft, because if they had, and this is something also that I wrote, but if they hadn't done the grant trade and then you go into draft night and then they don't do anything with the pick and just trade the pick or just don't trade the pick and just take sharp. And we're going into this, week before the start of free agency with 
the roster they had last year, plus now Shade and Sharp, and then they are going to do whatever they're going to do in free agency. Things are starting to look a lot like there's going to be a lot more talk of, well, is this really, are they really dry? You know, is this really like on Dame's timeline? But the fact that they had already done the grant trade and they had already made, taken the step of bringing in one guy, at least that we know Dame has a relationship with and has wanted them Mm -hmm. to get for a while and is going to help them win on his timeline. I wonder if that was part of what empowered the front office to say, now, you know, we don't have as much pressure to get a win now guy with this pick. Now, you know, since we already get, you know did some short-term improvements and we're going to do more in free agency, maybe now this asset, this first-round pick, this lottery pick, we can use that to just take a swing and try to get somebody that we hope is going to be a star in three years. Yeah, having that something to fall back on, um, which... <laughs> Again, something in the past that probably wouldn't happen. Um, the the fallback plans were uh, minimum players like Cody Zeller and Anthony Tolliver, guys that he had, guys guys that you maybe have in your Rolodex already. If you're right, yeah, definitely. Um, that the organization isn't going there just yet, and they're not done. Certainly bodes well. I know everybody uh, looks at the number seven pick. It's, it was their their biggest asset, and they, I believe, as an organization, feel that they did really well with it. But they are not bereft of total remaining assets. They still have Bledsoe's deal that doesn't have to be guaranteed until July 10th. Um, they do still have some younger guys that they can... I, here's the thing. I, I very much believe that... I think they have 13 guys under contract right now. I need to want to do this live, quasi-live. Um, but there's kind of a, I don't want to say a positional crunch, but there's a bit of a roster crunch in the sense of like viable NBA players, um, from the, the guys that basically closed out the year last year, I would say Trendon is probably the only one of the young guys who's quasi in the rotation actually has a chance to play when the team is trying to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could see him being your 10th man. Like I don't, I don't see Didi playing Greg unless he figures some stuff out defensively. It's going to be tough for him to get on the floor. He's he still all th- tools and not really any skills. Yeah, like he's he started to show some stuff really. He's like the last like twelve games of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think same with Keon. I think that's another guy. But you've you've got a bunch of guys back there, and Brandon Williams is your break glass in case of emergency. Right. And he, on, anytime right? there's a two way guy, you don't expect him to. Yeah, to and he's he's just kind of there, but. Um, there's obviously the, the guys like Ellaby and Hughes and Plevins and yeah, Paul Jefferson. Are. Like those guys aren't aren't coming back. But you know, do they do they look to bring more veterans on on, on vet minimums? Like a guy like a Macklemore. Like, sure, that's that's I think the way they should go. But bringing Macklemore back wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Honestly. No, no, like, it's really not a bad idea. But I mean, you you have some guys that and you also do have a couple other trade exceptions. Like the Blazers have looked around at guys like. Cam Johnson, I've heard, and maybe a little bit around PJ Washington. Um, just kind of trying to figure because they have yeah. that six and a half million dollar trade exception they have from Robert Covington. Basically, guys that can kind of fit into that trade exception. Um, Ty what it would a guy co- we talked about already. Yeah, Tybull's another guy that, like, again, what what do all three of these guys have? You know, they have they have athletic tools, they have the, the capacity and the willingness to play defense. Um, so I think that's those are the kind of things you should be scouring for. But they have opportunity to really improve the roster. They've got the full mid-level also. Yes. Well, right now they do. I'm wondering how that works out if they trade the Bledsoe deal and they bring real money back because it's it's still a little bit wonky of where they are ultimately end up. I think they're going to have full access to it, but I'm interested to see what they do, how much money goes out versus how much money comes back. Like if something, something like a Gordon Hayward came up where they'd send out Bledsoe and you know, something like Winslow or Keon or something along those lines, something around three to $4 million to make that work. You, you could do something like that where you bring in Hayward. That's your starting three at that point in time. Then you run another transaction essentially alongside it where PJ Washington would be kind of the prize that would come back into the TPE. I think those are the kind of things that the organization is exploring because they do as of right now have a, have a whole small forward spot as at least a starting small forward and whether or not that's the right move. I think those are the kind of things that they're looking at doing because um, I I definitely think that they want to use Eric Bledsoe's expiring contract. Yes, and they don't want to wave and stretch any more money for the love of God because they ha- they still have after Andrew this Nicholson year, one, is still getting paid for two more for, years. For two, kind of this year, one more year. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and then then they will be free 
of dead money. No more Vergeau, no more Zeely, no more Nicholson. And so if you don't have to stretch Eric Bledsoe's deal, basically what is it? 3.8 non guaranteed or 3.8 guaranteed yeah. uh, at all. Um, it does allow you to at least do some things. So right. while they don't have the big gun assets anymore, I do believe that they do have some things to work with. And if they want to get really spicy, Josh Hart's deal did, did just get guaranteed yes. a little bit ago. What do you see as far as different free agents that they could maybe look at with the, if they decide if they, let's say they don't get into the luxury tax and they have access to the full mid level. Mm-hmm. I have one guy I would probably lean towards going after. I want to know who yours is. It really depends on what, what trades they do or don't make. It's interesting because I think they're, they're, they'll end up using Ingles' bird rights and then use him as a trade chip later on. Like a like a one-year, 15 million type of deal. Just a a one-and-one with a team option. Yeah. Basically just like sign him with bird rights. Basically say, go, you know, go rehab, whatever. And then either we'll trade you at the deadline or if your rehab goes really well, we can keep you. And I've, and I've heard that he looks like he's probably going to be ready by like around Christmas. Okay. So there's who knows a, there's how a, much he's going to have left. He's 35 or is he he's 35. And came, you know, he's 35 and he came off a devastating knee injury. Yes, exactly. So, so I don't know how much you can count on him, but having that uh, money on the books is. <laughs> yeah. So, you okay. can take on more. You can take on more money at the deadline. Right, so I think right. those are some opportunities and stuff for, for, for situations there. Like, uh-huh. do they want to go after a guy like a Torian Prince or a TJ Warren or a Jeremy Lamb or. Uh, DeLon Wright or Kyle Anderson. Like Kyle listen, Anderson is my guy. That's listen, listen slow mo's the guy. Like, do you want him as your starter? Yeah, I think you're in a much better position if he's coming off the bench. I think if he's like your again, like let's, let's, the idea wasn't wrong of signing Evan Turner. The execution and the building around him was horrendous because he was playing with bench players who couldn't shoot. Like that was terrible. Every, everything about that but the idea of having a big bodied wing who's a like a good playmaker mm-hmm. it's like it's a it's a good idea i think there's going to be some competition for slow-mo but i i am very much in favor of him uh, again it all depends on what they do with the trade market uh, if they if they trade and they get a wing then i think they look towards bigs and i've, I've heard that that obviously bomba's out of orlando but Beyond you think that, they, they took, they gave his number to When I tweeted that out, I had a couple of magic accounts, like, well, actually me that, you know, he already said he was going to change his number to 11. Okay. Uh, well, he's going to be yeah. wearing that number somewhere besides Orlando. Yeah. yeah. And I, well, you know, Josh Hart's not giving up his 11 either. He, somebody made a, a Photoshop of, of, I think, Shaden in a number 11. And he was like, come on, man. Maybe, like, maybe <laughs> Mo Bamba can give him, can give him like, does Mo Bamba is, is Mo Bamba an NFT guy? Does he have one of those apes that maybe he could trade Josh for the? You know what? That might number? be that might be the wave. I'm not because, gonna lie, it's... because Josh is a big apes guy. Yeah, so... that 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 might that's be the one. The, that's the, the one the, thing the that concerns transfer. me about Shaden Sharp was in his in his post draft interview. He said something about how when he gets his first paycheck, he's going to invest in crypto. And I was just, I saw that. And I was like, eh, now I'm not while sure it's crashing. Happens. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I wouldn't be against the vet minimum signing of like a Lamarcus for for some bench depth. For the vibes, dude. Listen, I'm I'm pro vibes there. He's cooked defensively, but offensively, I think you can still do some stuff with him. What about Robin Lopez? Hundred percent, and he's still he's still got his place here. He does still live here, so um, like that would be totally fine. Uh, You know what? Just like they're not going to be able to get. I think bring bring the review back. back. Bring Rolo, Lamarcus, and Wes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) Batum's going back to the Clippers, so I don't think he's going to be a part of it. He's getting the money. Yeah, but just yeah, but those three guys as vet minimums. That's not the you know now that. Now that uh, the guy who didn't even call Wes when he was a free agent after he had torn and his Achilles didn't, is not... And didn't like Nick Batum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that those guys are gone, yeah, or now that guy is gone, yeah, that's that's certainly interesting. I, for me, I would frame Bomba as the number one big for me. Uh, it sounds like Mitch Rob is going to head back to New York as it mm-hmm. stands right now. Obviously, Trez is a non-starter. Um, yeah, that's maybe not the... <laughs> not, right now, that's probably not the move. There. No, um, Boucher is kind of a, a wonky cat. Hey, uh, as bring, far as hey, like, he's a, he's a duck. Listen, right. I know a lot of duck fans are, are on the forums and in, on the Blazers edge boards and stuff like that going crazy about, about Boucher. Cause he's, that's he why you don't duck, want but, him. 
I listen, he's a totally fine, viable player, but he's not, he doesn't really solve any of their like big problems. They just, uh, another one I think you could look at is JaVale. The Blazers made a push for him. They offered him the vet minimum. Played Dame, Dame wants on the him. Olympic team. Yes. Um, I, I think if you get to the point where if you had access to the BAE, I think you could probably go look at JaVale. They're going to have that, right? They should. I mean, they should have access to it as long as they don't go crazy um, past the tax. So, um, JaVale and Lopez, I think those are those are guys I think you can trust um, to kind of fill a role. Uh, I don't think any of the Morrises are going to be something that the Blazers are looked at. Well, unless they, I, I mean, from a vibe it, standpoint, I don't know if that's really the place to go either. Yeah, um, Bielitsa, I think probably at least looks at coming back to Golden State. The other guy to look at is Hartenstein. Ooh, Hartenstein I like a lot. What about Kevon Looney? Do you think he's going to be too expensive? Or I think he's I think he's going to want to stay in, in Golden State. I think they're going to find a way to, to make that work for him. I think they're they're just going to run it back, regardless of, of yeah. what. Which, I mean, why not? They just won the title. Yeah, I mean, and, and they seem very much, I mean, they, they cleared $800 million. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think they're for, perfectly fine paying the $200 million in tax. Um, but I think that those are the kind of directions that you're looking with this with this team. There's not a ton of bigs, but I think there's some guys that make sense, uh, which is why I think that they're gonna make a trade. They look on the 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 wing market just because I think that there's probably some some more opportunity there than there is for some bigs. Uh, and the bigs that you really the thing about Nurk is is this he's he's Nurk. Like you're 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 in the back of your head like mm, I'm getting 60 65 games. Like you just kind of bake that in. So right. you need a big who can like no BS eat up minutes. Like you you need a guy who 20 20 plus games a season who can be your starting level big where you can throw Robin Lopez out there, you can throw JaVale McGee out there. If if I were them, I would go that direction where you can have a guy who can legitimately play that spot and you could fully trust them. And then I look at taking a flyer on a, a younger, rangier, more athletic kind of rim runner type, like a, like a Nick Claxton or something along those lines. You brought, you're bringing up Nurkic that the one last thing that I want to hit on before we get out of here, mm-hmm. the Blazers to talk about what they're going to do in free agency. They have two guys that are very much key parts of their own plans going forward from everything that we know. And that's Nurk and your boy, Anthony Simons. What do mm-hmm. we see as far as what those two guys are going to settle on as far as what their deals? I, I'm, I'm, I'm operating assuming that both of them are going to be back and that those are both going to get done pretty quickly. I haven't heard anything to suggest that that's not the case, but what do we think that's going to look like as far as years and money for each of them? Yeah, I, uh, I, I talked to one of these guys the other day and I said, Hey, just give me a heads up. If you know, <laughs> which you're one? Gonna get, <laughs> if you're going to get put in a sign and trade and, uh, he, yeah, you know, cause everybody and their mom has been trying to put him in a sign and trade on the trade machines. Well, uh, Hey, I mean, according to, uh, Dame and Nurk on social media today, like <laughs> there, there's probably somebody that's, you know, that ant would probably have to be one of the outgoing pieces if, if something like that were to happen. So yeah, who's to say? So, but I, let's assume, let's assume that, that, that Dame and Nurk were just trolling with those posts and that that isn't a possibility and that Nurk and ant are both going to be back what are what are we talking about as far as money yeah i would expect ant is to be basically 480 okay when it's when it's all said and done and which is I pretty think, reasonable for him honestly i think he can outperform that deal next year it could end up being like a zach levine type of situation where he very much offer sheet from sacramento and at the time people are looking at it and being like eh, i don't know if the bulls should have matched that and then now you know four years later we're talking about him getting maxed out to stay there and especially with yeah. with uh with with this also you know what it actually more is more like is it's like when uh the bulls signed jimmy butler to a four-year or five-year 95 million dollar deal max deal as a restricted free agent and then like a year later the cap goes up and now suddenly that looks like an incredible deal so yeah and that's the thing is that this, the same thing's gonna deal, happen yeah the, mm-hmm. the, in 2025 the tv deal between the tv deal and then also uh whenever the expansion thing happens, like the cap is going to some stuff is going to happen to the salary cap. And so if you're paying Anthony Simons, $20 million a year, you might look at it right now and say, that's a lot of money for a guy who basically has had one year of being, you know, at this level, like mm-hmm. it, that seems like kind of overreacting, but then no, it's probably going to look like a bargain. That's going to almost look like a mid-level deal by the end of that thing. If the cap goes up the way we think. I, I just look at this and I go $20 million for Anthony Simons. If, 
my, 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 my biggest issue always with CJ McCollum was not that he was a bad player, but that he was an improper fit. And he was making almost twice that. Yeah. So that made it was like, ah, that's a tough pill to swallow. I think Ant can be different enough to where that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he could definitely outplay his contract, which I don't think CJ ever had a chance to do on, on this current deal. Uh, as it pertains to Nurk, I, I think that what they're going to end up doing is probably going with a, a, a three and one with a team option on year four. I would imagine the, the guaranteed money has a lot of clauses in it. I would imagine that there's probably some games played in there. Um, there's probably some minutes played. There's probably some other bonuses built into that, such as field goal percentage. The thing about having Joe in charge now is that he's a CBA guy. I would imagine that they probably are going to go pretty deep with stuff. And I would think that the, the, the guaranteed years are probably 354. So about 18 million a year. Um, some people have said, well, that seems like, uh, you know, it's a little bit more than he got before. And I'm like, yeah, well, he's also 28 years old and you're going into his year 30, 31 deal at the back end of this from a guy who has a pretty pronounced injury history. But I think you can kind of, fr- if I were the Blazers, I would front load it. I would front load it. So that on the back end, you're paying like, you know, 14, 15, whatever it is. And then kind of figure stuff out from there uh, to make it as, as close to an, a, a, a dealable deal or a tradable deal. Uh, if it comes down to it. Where does Mr. Little fit into all of this? That's a guy we have not really talked about at all. I would imagine. Yeah. I know that. I mean, he's a guy they're still very high on from a talent standpoint, mm-hmm. but he also has not had a full season of anything. Anything, really. No, yeah. because he his his rookie year, he didn't really play that much his rookie year, and then he couldn't play at all in the bubble because he got a concussion, and he basically also had heat stroke. Before his second year, he got COVID and was basically, and it was like before Lost vaccine. 30 pounds. Well, right. It was, he, he got it in training camp and that was like before the vaccine was out. So he really like, go back and read Jason's uh, story with him at the athletic before, uh, you know, after he got it, he really like went through it bad and he, yeah. it took him until like, you know, February or March to even get back into shape. And so he basically mm-hmm. lost that year. And then this past year he was playing really well and then he had the shoulder surgery. So I wonder if they're going to, if they still look at him and say, we, you know, he obviously from a mentality standpoint, he fits all the stuff that Joe and Chauncey were talking about today and have been talking about this entire time as somebody that kind of fits the type of player that they're, that they are looking for and the kind of guy they want to build around. But are they going to, do you think he's going to be willing to let, you know, for them to say, Hey, you know, we, we really like you. We maybe want to try to sign you to sort of a discount deal now, just sort of to, bacon you know some of the injury history and some of the stuff that you know the availability and all that kind of stuff or do you think he might say you know i want to bet on myself and if i can stay healthy for another year i want to you know try to test the market and see if i can get even more like where do you think that's going to land knowing Nas, i think he wants to bet on himself he's that he's just that kind of guy that would he be was, a sense he, i would get to by the way Nas he, was the only player he was at the pf the today that was there today and he just, was um he was i would say he was shooting. He was he was competitive. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and cursory, like uh, muscle season notice. Oh yeah, looked bigger. Looked looked a lot bigger than uh, he did last season. <laughs> I, it was the first thing I noticed when I walked yeah. in. I was like, "Damn, Nas looked big." <laughs> yeah. So. But uh, yeah, no. Um, I, I again, I think he wants to bet on himself. I would imagine the Blazers at least broach it because if they can. Like, why not? Like, if you're if you're an organization, it's, I think you're silly to not if you can get a guy to, you know, take a number that maybe you end up winning on on the backside. The flip side of this is there's something I, I kind of I've picked up around other people who have talked to and worked with Joe is that Joe makes wants everybody to feel like they got to win on a deal, both like in a trade and, and you know, with, with working with his own players. So I just wonder if they just kind of like, listen, man, let's just kind of come to the table real quick, talk about a few things. And if, if, if one of, if either side of us is, isn't happy, we can, it's okay. We can revisit this in the off season. There's this like no, no skin on anybody's back. Nobody's going to get mad about it. That's just how the business side of this stuff works. That's kind of what happened with Ant, right? Like I'm sure, I'm sure Ant would have liked to sign an extension and they, and you know, the organization said, you know, you haven't proven enough. And he was like, okay, cool, fine. Yeah, and then I don't think he took a, that. Per, you you know the guy a lot better than I do, right. but I don't. I never got the sense that he took that personally, or that he was mad that he didn't get an extension or, or any of that. No, and he tra- he changed representation heading into last year. When he's with uh, BDA Bill Duffy, and uh-huh. you know Duffy's one of the the bigger power brokers in the league, and I think they're both 
sides right now are, are very happy because Ant showed he can be that dude and uh, Duffy and Ant and, you know, the, the groups on that side are very happy because Ant's going to be handsomely rewarded. I think, and this is, it's kind of funny for Nasir. I think he's got the opportunity here to kind of follow Ant's same path of like, showed some stuff where you're like, yeah, I can see something. There's definitely something there, but it's, it had to wait until year four because COVID screwed some things up and uh, the bubble screwed some things up. The injury screwed some things up. Like I, I could very much see, and it's not like Nas is going to get, you know, a guaranteed 30 minutes a night. He's going to probably be your backup three, but I don't think that's an inherently bad thing. I, I think as much as they're going to want to get Shaden on the floor, they're also going to want to compete. And whether you think Shaden's the better prospect or not, Nas has got, NBA experience and rookies typically the first couple months they're bad they're really bad so I think <laughs> I don't think you're going to see Shaden play a ton of minutes early on and if Nas impresses then I think it's something that he's going to want to run with particularly in a contract year there's a lot going on with this team right now there's going to be a lot more going on with the this prep team. coming up yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but you know this this was good you know Dan it's been obviously you know good to do this with you great to see you the last couple of days at the facility at, at this stuff Everybody, you probably, if you're listening to this, you're deep enough into like Blazer world that you probably already know Dan and know his work and listen to the Jack Ramsey's podcast with him and Brandon Sprague. But if you don't, I would urge you to go subscribe and check that out and listen to it. Those guys do a great job and uh, you're going to have, there's some stuff coming. There's some things to be interested. Yeah, there's, 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 there's some things coming along there's the way. There's things so. happening, and I think you and I are going to probably end up doing a lot. Like, I think the Hike and Meringue Alliance is... is it's, a, it's alive and well and promising. It's 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 going places, I think. So, but thanks so, for having me, man. Yeah. This is this has been fun. It's it's it's, it's fun to be on the other side of this because I'm always, <laughs> like I said, on on the on the other foot. So yeah, it's weird. It's weird for me too because like I, you know, you you do such a great job of hosting, and you know, I'm always happy to go on with you guys. But now I'm just like now I have to be the one that steers the ship, and I have to be the one that like says, okay, we got to hit this topic, we got to hit this topic. It's a different. Like I have so much respect for people like you and Brandon that like do this all the time, and because I just I mostly just like show up on other people's podcasts and talk, and you know the other so much more fun that way. I'm telling you, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but so thanks thanks for doing this with with me again. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hiken H I G H K I N. You can go subscribe to the Rose Garden Report on rosegardenreport.beehive.com. I urge you to consider a paid subscription somebody pointed out to me on twitter yesterday that it's significantly less money than one tank of gas is these days for a full year of coverage (laughs) so i think you know depends on market value and what you drive exactly (laughs) yeah exactly but either way i i am you know i'm still kind of getting the thing off the ground it's been a good first week the reception has been great the response has been great i feel like i'm right i'm doing some cool stuff we're I'm going to be in Vegas at Summer League, as, I, as I've said before, I'm going to do some stuff from there. Once this uh, offseason really gets going after the news part of it, when there's a lot more downtime, I'm going to try to do some kind of longer form stuff and some feature stuff and some kind of more less like timely, you know, news focused stuff. So I'm going to do what I can do to make it worth your subscription money if you just decide to uh, do that. So you know, the podcast you can get is always on Apple, Spotify, Google, everywhere else. Subscribe, rate, review, do all the stuff you're supposed to do with every podcast. And we will be back with you. I will probably, I would say probably we'll maybe do one more. I might, I might do something maybe looking more into the Jeremy Grant trade next week. And then I think after the first couple of days of free agency, I'll probably have another episode. So I would say, I would say two pop, maybe one pod near the beginning of this coming week. And then one next weekend that would be kind of the tentative plan i'm still figuring that out but uh until then thanks for listening